Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. So welcome to the show, everybody. And in a week of college sports, well, I suck. It's just that simple. Like, there's no better way to explain this. So, harken back to Thursday when I am ready for the baseball season, and I go out with my good friend Jack Holland, and we're at a bar watching baseball because it's supposed to be Yankee opening day. And I get a text message. Oh, the number nine recruit in the country, who happens to be going to Syracuse, has decided to forego, not forego college. Okay, I can understand that. He may not make the grades. He may not, he may not want to play. I'm okay with that. He may want to make some money. So if he's going to make some money, he's probably going to go the Brandon Jennings route or the uh, Terrence Ferguson route, and we've talked about this a couple of times, and he'll go to Australia, right, where he can make $78,000, or he will go to Europe where he can be a millionaire. Nah, nah, Twenty-six grand. It's okay, Twenty-six grand. What he doesn't understand is that Syracuse education is actually 72 grand. So he's losing money <laughs> by going to the G League. No joke. Tuition and everything this year is $72,000. So Jake and the uh, soon-to-be girl, um, yeah, Uncle, uh, Uncle Sean is not chipping in for that. That's all that. Don't worry, either, 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 like, is, uh, either is Papa Seth. We, we, we ain't paying. 600 uh, grand for the kids. 700 grand, grand for, for the kids. It's not happening. So, anyway, so that's the start of the weekend. So, I'm like, all right, so that sucks. That sucks. That sucks. But here we're going. We got the final four where my bracket is a dumpster fire. So, I'm, I'm just rooting for underdogs here. So, let's go Kansas because I don't want Villanova because I despise Villanova almost as much as I do the Patriots. And, yeah, they let me down. And then, of course, we all want to root for Loyola, right? Because Loyola is the upstart that we love Sister Jean. And Michigan, if Syracuse doesn't win, if I have, say, 40% of my friends on Facebook are Syracuse fans, a close second at probably 25% are Michigan fans. So the last thing I want is that being thrown in my face. So what happens? Oh, yeah, Loyola loses to Michigan, and Kansas loses to Nova. So I have the epitome of the worst-case scenario for my final. And, of course, Villanova, the worst of the two, blows it out last night in a game that I almost fell asleep. But Villanova, look, if there was any questioning their credibility, any questioning the fact that they are talented, and two out of three said that. They're a blue blood at this point. They're a dynasty. They are in the top discussion of the top five programs in NCAA basketball right now. Right now, I don't think there's any question. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody. Um, yeah, they've won two championships in three years. They've won 30 games, four, I think four of the last five years. Uh, they were absolutely dominant in this, winning, I believe, every game, I think every game by double digits. See, I, on the other hand, unlike my esteemed partner, 
I was actually in the, in the 94th percentile on ESPN for my picks, which is kind of crazy considering I was uh, 19 for 32 in the first round. But well, I think that says fair, Seth, it, it, it kind of goes, that makes a lot of sense because the one, the biggest thing that you and I had different, the biggest thing was I had Michigan out in the first round and you had Michigan in the final four. Yep. So, so if my bracket sucks, your bracket is likely to be pretty good. Well, then it was. Uh, and there you go. 94%. Congratulations. That that doesn't get you any money, though. No, it doesn't. Um, and unfortunately, there was only one good Final Four this, this weekend, and it was certainly not the men's. Um, Mich- you know, I missed most of the Michigan games due to Seder. Although I was watching on my on the app on my phone on, on my lap during it for part of part of the second half, um, but that well was the done. most entertaining. I'm not a great Jew. What do you want from my life? Um, <laughs> <laughs> everyone knows me knows that. Um, you know, it, it, it is what it is. Um, While he's you know, chopping the, down on his pizza during Passover. Anyway, I, do, I, I typically go for pizza during Passover. Um, I go with my dad. We get pepperoni pizza <laughs> from our noses at horrendous food and go on with our lives. Um, but, you know, by the time we got home, the Kansas game was, was, was a joke. And Michigan, Michigan looked really good the first 15 minutes. And DiVincenzo, yeah. my goodness. The problem with Nova, with guarding Nova, is you have eight guys who can score 25 points. And they score, you know, you have a 6'1 guy, 6'1 point guard posting up. You have a 6'10, 260 guy shooting threes. And Villanova didn't look great last night. Their defense was fantastic. And DiVincenzo was, absolute, DiVincenzo was absolutely sensational. Um, and it ended up being going from a 21 14 deficit. I guess they outscored them, what, 65 to 20, 65 to 30 the rest of the way. In the second, the second, the uh, second half was really just a coronation more than anything else. I mean, I'm reading about you know they're talking about Jay Wright going to the NBA and you know this, if you're Jay Wright, why in God's name would you want to leave? So the only reason that you go anywhere, hold on, the only reason that you go anywhere is a money. I mean, but we've all seen college basketball coaches fail in the NBA. Uh, go and then and then come back, and there's actually been a couple that almost took jobs and then didn't take jobs. And, and number one being Mike Shishetsky, who almost took the Lakers job when Kobe Bryant wanted him to go, and Billy Donovan, who actually signed a contract with the with the Magic, and then said, eh, "You know what? I had a good run. I'm doing all right here." He, he later went to to the Thunder and has done pretty well for himself. But there is a litany of coaches that have gone from college to the pros and just have not done well. And if you are earning three or four million dollars, which I don't know what Jay Wright earns, but I got to figure it's somewhere in there, two to four million dollar range. And you have a pipeline like he does. He's con- I mean, look, he's done it better than Calipari. And he's done it more entertaining than Calipari because these Players stay more than one year. They stay two years. They stay four years in some instances. They are a much more enjoyable team to me than watching Kentucky play. 
And I don't like either of these teams. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind Villanova. You know, they, they are. They're an enjoyable team to watch. You know who they are. You know, and that's the advantage of an like when you used to look through this Final Four, all of these teams, you know, Kansas had uh, Devontae Graham. They had, I, I can't pronounce the three-point shooter from, I want to say, Lithuania. You know, Michigan had Rachman and Wagner, who have been there a couple of years. Loyola was pretty veteran. You know, Villanova well, I was had about Booth. to say, because you knew who anybody on Loyola was two weeks ago, because I didn't. So. I had no clue. I yeah. don't claim to have ever seen them before what before the tournament. But you know, it, it does say something that you have it's a, all these teams which are which have veteran players, you know, reaching this level. Now look very Duke very easily could have could have won the game over Kansas. But you know, for all intents and purposes, it was a pretty veteran final four. And I think it was like even though I was disappointed with how with the closeness of the games, I thought it was I thought I I kind of enjoyed the matchup. You have the one real Cinderella, the one real hot team, and then kind of the number one who's been underrated, and then you have the number one team in the tournament. And so I had you know I was kind of happy how it played out, and the right team won. Simply put. Well, let's let's remember the number one team in the tournament went down the first round. I mean, that's in what my made mind, this tournament. Yeah, but that's in my what mind, made this tournament, right? I mean, this tournament was made on the first day. Or the first the second two. day, excuse me. The, sec- yeah, the second day where Virginia got knocked out, I mean, by UMBC. That's where, uh, I mean, you don't want it, a dumpster fire, the, the, the bleep hit the fan. I mean, really, it did. Because then you had a number one seed out, and he had an open bracket. And then everybody put, picked Kentucky to make it from that bracket, right? Because, of course, Kentucky's going to make it because they have all the talent. This was the epitome, and you said this a couple of minutes ago, this is the epitome of a team game, not a talent game, in winning the tournament this year, in getting far to the tournament. It may pay. I mean, you're not going to see anybody else stay because of this. I don't believe... Players are going to play. Players are going to leave. We just saw my guy Darius Beasley go to, of, of all places, the G League because for reasons unknown. But the fact <laughs> is they're not going to stay because of this. But it was a much more enjoyable tournament. So just watch. I mean, I enjoyed watching almost every game except for last night. I really did not enjoy watching a coronation in the second half. There was, there was no game to be played. But, again, you take your hat, hat off to Villanova. I've said this for years, ever since I saw St. John's beat down, St. John's, an unranked St. John's team, beat down on Syracuse at the Garden. If you hit 60% from three-point land, you're probably going to win the game. And not only win it, but win it going away. And the one thing that Nova could do better than anybody else in this tournament was shoot the three ball. Yeah, no real argument. I mean, to me, yes, the Virginia, but there, there were so many fun upsets. Nevada was a lot of fun to watch. Um, Buffalo beating the living crap out of Arizona was fun to watch. It was a, <laughs> it was a really enjoying, enjoyable first four days. And there were some great games and there were some disappointments, but at the end of the day, it was a good tournament, and my wife is absolutely ecstatic 
because my son has become completely addicted to basketball. So, yeah, between playing with the hoop, which Uncle Sean bought him, to going to the Hoboken uh, high school games, which our nanny's son plays in, to watching with dad, with, with daddy, and clapping every time someone makes a shot, I, I think I think Carly's getting a little bit scared. So that's all right. Um, probably we'll take care of time. <laughs> yeah, well, probably a good time for a hiatus uh, from 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 college hoops for a while. So if you'd like to call in seven six zero two eight three zero eight four six. Seven six zero two eight three zero eight four six, and so we have the first top ten for next year, top twenty-five. The way, way, way too early. Surprisingly, Syracuse is still in the top fifteen, which boggles my mind. Maryland nowhere to be found, which is yes, a little are. surprising. Uh, the yeah, they, they, top twenty-five. They've been in a couple of them. Um, I think what's what's happening is they're waiting to see. If um, the the big freshman Fernando comes back, which is fifty fifty, um, if he does, then we're a top fifteen to twenty team. If not, we're probably not ranked, but we're right outside of the bracket. This is it's Turgeon's year. It's either either they make the Sweet Sixteen or he's gone, I think, and probably deservedly <laughs> so. Good team coming back. A lot, uh, three top one hundred recruits. No excuse. So I have a really hard time, and look, you can, you can not agree with me. You and I have gotten through arguments on this many times. I have a really hard time with basing a coach's job on getting to a place in the tournament. Fair maybe, enough. Maybe I'm, just, maybe I'm just stupid, but as we saw no, many but... times in this tournament, one game and you're out, and – if you go twenty-eight Fine. and three in the regular a top, season, a top ten to fifteen year, a top fifteen, a twenty-five win season, a season okay. where we're I can go where we're that. actually in a threat. Okay, upset happens. I, I can, right? Exactly. Like you, you don't see Tony. Tony Bennett's not getting fired tomorrow because he failed to make it out of the first round. Of course. Now he does it again, maybe. <laughs> Uh, and, and as you said, Seth, it's much harder to win the second day of a weekend than it is the first, no matter who it is, because you have the whole week to prepare in the first game. The second game, I think the second game is a crapshoot all the time. I think anybody has a chance in the second game. You just got to make it through the first game. Uh, so hopefully I'll remember from, for next time not to pick against Syracuse in the, if they make the second round. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll continually remind you. You'll continually ignore my advice, and we'll have this discussion again at this point next year because that's just Probably. the way that we roll. Yeah. So we have the NBA is winding up. The NHL is winding up. Now, we got about three to five more games in the NHL regular season. Disappointments from the Rangers, disappointments obviously from the Islanders, the Devils are on the verge of maybe making the playoffs. They're, they're right there. But we had a significant announcement this week, and I know you've been busy with tax season, but the Sendines from, from Vancouver, and I know they're, sure. they're a little underrated because they do play in Vancouver, have both announced their retirement, uh, effective at the end of this year. Now, 
you you really don't realize what these two guys have done over the course of their careers. I mean, we talk about brothers, we talk about the Sutters, we talk about the Stastnys, we talk about the Gretzkys. There were two of them, but nobody remembers one of them. And you got the Richards. As far as a twosome is concerned, they rank right up there with the Richards. I mean, they were the they play on the same line. The Richards never even played together. But the Sandines play on the same lines. They both won an Art Ross Trophy as the top scorer in the league. Um, Henrik's, Henrik uh, won the Hart Trophy as the most valuable player. But an incredible, I don't know, they, they play together so well that it's nice to see them ride off into retirement, even if they don't make the playoffs, rather than stick around for the sake of sticking around for one more year. Yeah, I, they've been around forever, it feels like. And, you know, the disappointment of never winning a championship. But, they, you know, they're Hall of Famers. They, they go down, as you said, with the Richards is probably, you know, they'll never have the recognition that the Richards have. And maybe not at that level, maybe a, a step below. Maybe more with the Goulets. Uh, Ooh, well played. Thank you. Played. Anton, Anton and Michelle Goulet, who also never won a cup, by the way. Neither one. There of you them. go. The, the, um, the so, interesting thing is here, did you know that Henri Richard, so Henri Richard, a little research I did today, Henri Richard is the younger brother of Maurice Rocket Richard. Maurice uh-huh. Rocket Richard is, is, is the more well-known brother. He scored over 500 goals. They have the Rocket Richard trophy in his name as the leading scorer in the NHL every year. But Henri Richard retired with the most cups in NHL history. He has actually 11 cups. Would you be surprised? Would you be surprised? surprised I knew that. I did know that. I'm not surprised because I guarantee you probably learned it when we were going through a show on championships and you probably were like, okay, Russell's got the most in the NBA. Who's got the most in the, in the NHL? I'll ask you this question. Let's see if you know it. Who's got the most in baseball history? I thought it was Yogi. No, he's not Yogi. Oh, it's Tony Lazare. Now, remember, this, this doesn't – no, this doesn't – it's definitely not Tony Lazare. No, so let's un, let's understand. This doesn't have to be as a player, right? It could be as a manager. It could be as a coach. What is the most? It's not Tony Lazari. I thought he had like twenty championships. You're, okay, so the right lineage, but the wrong time period. All right. So it's not the twenties and thirties with Lazari. So I have. Right. So it's got to be fifties and sixties. With the Yankees. And it's not Yogi. Yogi was my first answer. Oh, it's not Yogi. It's not Yogi. It's not Yogi. Whitey? Whitey didn't coach. Not Whitey. It's not Whitey. Who is it? I said you had the right lineage. What lineage was Tony Lazari? Either Italian? (laughs) <laughs> okay, so Lazari was Italian. You're absolutely right. So this is an Italian Yankee in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. DiMaggio? It wasn't DiMaggio. Not DiMaggio. All right, you, you've guessed enough. It's Frank Crosetti. Huh. 
who had about 23, which is ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely lunacy. Sure? 20. Yes, I am sure he has the most championships. I'm going to look it up right now. I'm going to look up how many championships Frank Corsetti. Look, if I'm wrong, I'm happy to admit it, but I don't believe I am. I'm sorry. He was part of 17 World Championships and 23 World Series overall from 1932 to 1964. Yeah, that's the record, my friend. 17. Jeez. That's insane. That's insane. I want that collection of championship rings. That's what I want, because it would take up my whole dresser. Like, that's insane. So Yogi, has anyway. the most for play. Yogi has the most for playing, because he yes. has 10. That is correct. That is correct. Okay. But it's Frank Corsetti. So, so the amazing thing is, you're like, all right, well, Phil Jackson's got nine, so that must be something, and then... And then Bill Russell's got 10, so, so that must be something. No, Corsetti's got 17. Like, you're not even in the ballpark at that point with him. But anyway, so the Sendines retire. The hockey season is almost over, much to my – I don't know if it's glee at this point. I just want July 1st to get here so I know whether John Tavares is an Islander again or I have to get yet another jersey and sulk a little bit more, which I will. There's no doubt that I will. So – we, we tended to shift this, this show a lot towards the NFL. And just in general, because it's probably the most, not probably, it is the most popular sport. And just before we got on the show, there was another trade made. And it's our favorite friend, Bill Belichick, who trades Brandon Cooks to the, Ra- to the Rams. And last week we talked about Odell Beckham going to the Rams. Well, that will stop. You're not going to hear that anymore. So Brandon Cooks went to the Rams with a fourth-round pick for a first and a sixth. So surprisingly or not, Belichick now has two firsts, two seconds, and a third in this draft. That's a lot of ammunition, my friend, to go up and do something if he wants. You think he's staying still, or you think that he's, he's going to push it and push the chips in the middle? You can go for what, a quarterback? Maybe he's got to get he's got to get a replacement for Jimmy Garoppolo sometime, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, I was I wasn't being facetious. Um, you know, he strikes me as a, he doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to go. He would go out if there was someone specific. He would go after him. I have no doubt about that. I don't see him going after any of these quarterbacks. I don't think that's of interest to him. I think there's probably a guy in the second, in the third, like a Luke Falk, or. Um, one, like one of the Division Two guys, the guy from Richmond, I forget his name. Um, you know, they're, by the way, Devils up three-one. If they win uh, in Florida, loses the, the Devils are going to make the playoffs for the first time. It feels like since, geez, must be five or six years ago. Um, you know, his look, his drafts have not been sensational. I mean, as, as, much, as many accolades as he's gotten. But the team is old. That's why, I'll be honest, the Cooks trade surprises me. Amendola's gone. Well, the Cooks, 
Well, they do have a deep, they still have a deep receiving core. So they have Malcolm, Malcolm Mitchell. They have Philip Dorsett. They have Philip Dorsett. What's that? Philip Dorsett's been a bust. Okay, but I'm just saying, they have Julian Edelman coming back. They, they have a legitimate, look, they don't have a number one. So they traded their number one. The question is, would they have been able to re-sign him? The thing that the Rams have done is they have picked up now three guys who are in their last year of their contracts. Uh, sorry, two guys and Tlaib who has an option. So they've picked up both Marcus Peters and Brandon Cooks who are in the last year of their rookie contracts. And they're going to have to pay big money to sign him. And I'm not, with, with the Sammy Watkins deal of this year – are you really willing to pay Brandon Cooks almost $20 million a year next year? Because that's what it would come down to. No. I'm not I'm really not sure that, that. I don't think you do. Well, no, then that's why they made the trade. Yeah. But, are, see, the thing is, are you taking this team? Is this a team you take, like, one, you know, year to year? Or you have them for one more, you have them for, what, one more year under contract? Correct. I don't know. Um, I I don't know if I would have, you know, you have Edelman coming off off of injury, Malcolm, uh, Mitchell coming off of injury, Kronkowski coming off injury, uh, Amendola's gone, Hogan was kind of a bust last year. For a team that's really, you know, that you're building for a championship while your star quarterback is there, I'm surpri- I'm surprised. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I always say I'm surprised, and then they always seem to do something out of the blue and get somebody else for, I mean, a fourth-round pick around the, I mean, talk to me after the draft, I think. I mean, the draft is when most of these trades take place, and who knows, they may not even have, they may not even have Rob Gronkowski at the end of the draft. I mean, he's been looked at as somebody that may get traded as well. And then where are you? So I understand your point in that you have your top quarterback. You probably will only have him for two to three more years, if that. I mean, he is 40 years old. Granted, that makes me feel very old right now. But 40 years old, and the fact that you only have two to three more years of him, are you really going to push? And look, at the end of the day, what they can do is they can push on the opposite side of the ball, right? They they got a couple of defenders in in free agency, including Jason McCourty. They could push on the defensive side and supplement there, and they could become what the Giants were. I mean, there's just there, there are many different ways to build an NFL team. The fact that they've built it only one way in the past 15 years doesn't mean that they can't build it the other way coming up soon. Understood. Yeah. So we have the NFL draft in a couple of weeks. Uh, I think next, where are we? We're in April, so April 28th. So that's uh, our NFL draft will be in three weeks, giving Seth a little bit of time to, re, to uh, of a reprieve from his tax uh, status. Oh, yeah, I owe you a document or two. I keep forgetting to do that. Yeah, you do. Know. should probably get that to you. Yeah, I should probably get you that. But we, so I sent you something a couple of days ago, which I view – it's probably the 
the best performance I can think of in the NBA. So I think it was 30 years, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, yet two days ago, Pete Maravich scored 64 points in an NBA game without a three-point shot. And I view that really as the top singular performance outside of a playoff, take, take that away, scoring performance in NBA history. I say that because it, it, it's much harder for me to imagine a guard doing that without a three-point shot than, say, Wilt getting 100 when all they're doing is feeding Wilt every single time, and he is a man amongst boys. And I was wondering your opinion on that. I know Kobe has scored 81. I know McGrady scored a bunch. You have all these singular performances, David Thompson, Kiki Vandeway, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But Maravich's performance to me is singled out. I also wonder if, if you bring it up, because he was being guarded by one of the greatest defensive guards in the history of the NBA, in Clyde Frazier. Now, again, this is a little bit past Clyde's prime, um, but I think that I think that was I think that's against the Knicks. I could be wrong, um, but yeah, 68 from a guard in a non-three-point era, a guy who doesn't dunk. Now again, a bit ball hoggish, yeah, but uh, it is it is an amazing accomplishment. You know, they actually they're doing an, a uh, ESPN is doing a documentary on Pistol Pete. It goes on tonight actually at eight o'clock. But you know, one of the great, one of the truly great players that could have been better. Um, for, yeah, against the Knicks actually. So, yeah, I'm looking up the box score right now. Twenty-six so for forty-three. Now, to be to be fair, Frazier only played 18 minutes of that game, so in all likelihood, he was being guarded by both Frazier and Earl Monroe and even Phil Jackson. And the New Orleans Jazz, 26 for 43, played 43 out of the 48 minutes, uh, shot 16 for 19 from the line. The rest of his box score is just what it is. I mean, six points, six assists, six rebounds. But he did foul out of the game. He had six personal fouls. So I guess they had six personal fouls back then too. But he fouled out of the game. So I guess he fouled out of the game close to the end of the game. Now, the interesting thing is only 11,000 people watched that game. Literally, so much now like are you, you hear about... Literally on ESPN... They're just premiering the Maravich documentary. Yeah. Is that why you're bringing it up, I, I, or just? No, it came up in it came up in in some feed a couple of days ago. It, this had nothing to do with the uh, the ESPN. I'm patting myself on the back for that one. That was a good call. I had absolutely no idea. I am not a promoter of ESPN for whatever. I do not get paid by ESPN. But if <laughs> you'd like to watch the, I wish I got paid by ESPN. If you want to watch the gloriousness of Pete Maravich after the show, DVR it now, and you can watch it later. But definitely one of the top performances, even just looking back on it, I watched some of the video of it. Maravich was ahead of his time. Now, why do you say that he could have been better? Because, I, I look, I, I know a good amount about him, but I don't know. Obviously, I, I would not have had that opinion. So please... Uh, Please school me on this. Well, he was kind of known 
for being a very selfish player. And also, he made a lot. He was resented by teammates because he made so much money uh, up front. You know, he 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 was one of those guys. He was he was the guy who was going to score twenty five a game, and his team would be like thirty five and forty seven. I mean, and think about it. You know, he went. This is a guy who was you know played at LSU had. The only person in, in college basketball history to average 40 points a game, and he did it three times. But he, his team never won. I don't think. I think his team. I don't think ever went to the NCAA tournament. Uh, they went to the NIT, I think, one year. You know, he stays in the South, goes to the Hawks, and they like him so much that after like three or four years, they kind of they pretty much let him go. Uh, and the New Orleans Jazz picks him up, picked him up, or they traded. I think they they traded for him. But, I mean, he never – he just never – you know, part of it was he never had a great supporting cast. Part of it was his game was probably – the game wasn't ready for him, kind of similar to Ernie DiGregorio. Um, you know, he was playing a, like, a very, like a very, very up-tempo, you know, kind of how basketball is played now, 50 years ago. He was just ahead of his time. And, you know, unfortunately, once he got hurt – you know, he never really recovered. Um, I think, you know, he played, I think, one year with the Celtics, and I think they kind of, it was one of those things where they kind of hoped that, you know, he would be able to come back. Um, you know, but his knees his knees were just shot by that point. You know, he makes the Hall of Fame more as a college player than as an NBA player. Although, ironically, his, his jersey's been retired by two teams. So, you know, he he certainly was beloved. It's just... You know, when you have the potential to be one of the greatest of all time and you're still very good, the bar is, the, the bar is too high. It's often too high to hit when you don't have help around you. And he just didn't. Well, we just it's, – it's ironic that you say that. You have the potential to be so good, but you don't get that. So we just had the inductees into the – the announcement of the inductees into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, Jason Kidd, right, completely transformed his, his career from – Basically, a me-first player. At, even though he was an assist guy, but definitely a me-first player when he was in in uh, Dallas. Moved over to Phoenix, um, then moved to the Nets. Became, uh, uh, in some ways, still a me-first player. At when he first got there, took them to two finals, and then went into a complementary role both with the Nets and then went back to the Mavericks and won a championship with the Mavericks. So you have a full circle for Jason Kidd. Then you have Maurice Cheeks, who was one of the best under, uh, under, what's the word I want to say? Underrated players. Yeah, definitely an underrated player. I think the all-time leader in steals for a while until John Stockton took that over. You have Steve Nash, who never won a championship, but revolutionized the game of basketball, was probably the way you describe it, what Pete Maravich would have loved to have played it, the seven-second basketball. He would love Mike D'Antoni's offense. He, 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 from what you're telling me, he reminds me very much of a James Harden. So that type of person. And then you have Nash, a guy – sorry, go ahead. I think Nash is probably a better fit, a better, a better, a better description than a Harden. Okay. Not, not quite and the then passer, you have, but, yeah, right. sorry. No, and then you have a guy 
that could have been an all-time great. And unfortunately, as we said, injuries took hold. And that was Grant Hill. Grant Hill to me, when he was going to Orlando, was on the cusp of being in the top five. I mean, he was there. When, when you, uh, I mean, unfortunately, injuries robbed him because to see him play with McGrady at their prime, and if you recall at the time, there was a third piece to that too. And he was basically a sliver away, and that was Tim Duncan. You would have had the first super team, except it would have been with Orlando and not with Miami. That is true. Uh, you know, when I look at the team and the guy who I'm happiest for is the greatest coach at, at my, in the history of my alma mater, um, Lefty Drizel, the only guy to get four teams to the NCAA tournament probably should have been in a while ago if it wasn't for the Len Bias incident. Um, you know, Coach Davidson, you know, Coach Maryland, you know, never probably the best coach never to make a Final Four. And after, God, it must be, I guess, at age 86, 87, 86, 11th all-time in victories, 13 NCAA tournaments. Um, and he actually created Midnight Madness in 1971 for Maryland, but still beloved this day in College Park. Very happy for him. I'll be honest, I don't really understand the Mo Cheeks. Mo Cheeks was a really nice player, but... I never remember watching Mo Cheeks and saying, man, that is an all-time great. <laughs> okay, but to be fair, Seth, you and I, when Mo Cheeks was in his prime, we were seven. No, that's when they right? won the title. I... They won the title when he, right. when he was seven. Okay, but that's what I'm saying. So when was Mo Cheeks' prime? A little after that? Maybe when we were seven. It could have been a little nine? after, a little before, but... I just it never he never would have even occurred to me to be on the would never even thought of it. Ne, would never okay, have thought Dennis of it. Jo- so so Den- let let's compare him with Dennis Johnson, right? I think they're pretty comparable players. Do you believe that to be correct or I know Dennis Johnson oh. played with Seattle first before he went to Boston. But I think they're pretty comparable players, no? I don't think so. Um, so you Dennis think DJ is a much better player? Dennis Johnson, I don't know if he won an MVP, but he was pretty damn close in either 70, in, in 78 or 79. Um, he was as good a clutch player as you can ever imagine. I'm looking at Maurice Cheeks' uh, sub, his career. He averaged yep. 11 points, six and a half assists. His com- I'm playing on basketballreference.com. His comparables. Okay, Hal Greer, who's a Hall of Famer. Who's, uh, yeah. Tony Parker, who's probably a Hall of Famer. Eddie Jones is not. Andre Miller is not. Lenny Wilkins is a, is? I think, I, a Hall of Famer. Jason Terry is not. Jeff Hornacek is not. Hersey Hawkins is not. Um. Huh? You know, I, I, I. All right, so hold on. So we're playing that game. Let's go to Dennis Johnson because I'm on the same page. Michael Finley, 
not a Hall of Famer. Mark Jackson, nope. Joe Johnson, nope. Orlando Blackman, nope. Danny Ainge, maybe one day, but it won't be as a player. Andre Iguodala, Rod Strickland, Bob Cousy, okay, but you're talking 30 years before. Byron Scott, a nice complimentary player, but not, and Mike Bibby. And that's where you're at with Dennis Johnson. Dennis Dennis Johnson won the finals MVP. He did not win an MVP of the season. Larry Bird called him the greatest te- the greatest player he ever played with. For that alone, he's he's a Hall of Famer in my book. Um, I I don't know. I mean, to me, I I never really Johnson to me was always a very good player. I wouldn't have him in my pantheon of great, and you know my Hall of Fame criteria. But sure. in a million years. And I, I have nothing against Mo Cheeks. I never would have thought of Mo Cheeks as a Hall of Famer. Never. Okay, so let's go through your pantheon of great. Oh, and we forgot one guy, obviously, and that being Ray Allen. So I'm going to go through your pantheon of great, and I'm going to tell you the guys that made the Hall of Fame. And you tell me if, any of, if these guys are in your pantheon of great, because they may not be. Okay, Jason Kidd. Yes. Ray Allen. Yes. See, I don't see Ray Allen in the Pantheon of Great. I just don't. I mean, look, I get what he did with with the Seattle teams and with the Milwaukee teams who basically had nobody else. He was the guy. He was the only guy that shot. He didn't become a winner until he came to Boston. And by the time he came to Boston, he wasn't a complete player anymore. He was a three-point shooter. He didn't need to be a complete player, but he wasn't one. So I don't agree that I – don't, I don't think Ray <laughs> Allen is, is any better than Reggie Miller, and I wouldn't put Reggie Miller in there either. We've discussed this before. I wouldn't put Reggie Miller there either. I thought Ray, Mil- Ray Allen was a better player than Reggie Miller. Okay, Grant Hill. <sighs> Again, the injuries hurt him, but he also has such an amazing college career. And remember, this is the basketball hall of fame, not the pro basketball hall of fame. So based on that, he's probably in. So I heard this on CBS, and I have not checked it, but I did hear this last night. Grant Hill is the first Duke player to be inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. That stuns me. That That absolutely stuns me. I'm thinking Dick Rote. I'm thinking Bill Sharman. I'm thinking – no, Bill Sharman didn't go there. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Sorry, Dick Rote. Christian Leitner, right? Leitner's the best college player ever. Well, He's him right and there. Bill Walton. Yeah, him and Bill yeah. Walton. But I, I guess he hasn't come up yet. I mean, to me, that's ridiculous that he's not in. But, okay, so those, so Grand Hill. So now we got Lefty Drizel. Is he in the pantheon of, of head coaches? He is really, really borderline. Um, okay. As I said, 13 NCAA bids, first time, first team with four, first, first coach to make it four times with four different teams. Never really got the, you know, his creative midnight madness. 
never really got he built the Maryland he, he built all these schools from nothing. I would probably put him in. He's 11th all-time in wins and he was probably third or fourth when he retired. I would probably put him in, but again, I'm a little bit biased. A little bit biased. I'm okay, saying good. I'm a bit biased. <laughs> okay. Um, look, we can go to women's basketball, but I'm not really sure either one of those guys really goes there. Uh, either one of those women, excuse me. Katie Smith and Tina Thompson, both pioneers of the WNBA. So sometimes you get in just by being the first. And Tina Thompson was the first I mean, number one draft pick of the WNBA. They were great players, though. I mean, Katie oh, Smith agreed. went to Ohio State. I remember seeing her in the national title game years ago, and Tina Thompson has been around forever, it felt like. Um, they were pretty great players. It's harder for me agreed. to gauge women's. I just don't watch it. Uh, okay, so we, we discussed Mo Cheeks. Neither one of us puts him in. How about Rod Thorne? So I was a little surprised by Rod Thorne's inclusion until I realized that he's been basically working for the league the last 10 years. He needed to do something after after pretty much Billy King replaced him. A great so Rod executive. Built, he, he, he built he built the he built the um the Bulls, right? Before Jerry Krause, he drafted he drafted Michael Jordan, not that that was really hard, but he drafted Michael Jordan. He then built the Nets with Jason Kidd, and then he went to the 76ers and built that. So before Ed Stubnowski took over. So does that make him a Hall of Famer? To me, I think you have to do more. I think you don't have to build him. I think you have to win. And he just did not win. Yeah, I, I think he's a he was a great GM. I think it's a close call. Okay, and then well, we have Dino Rogers. I'm being, being very. Uh, yeah, you're being a little wishy-washy here. Okay, Dino yeah, Raja. Like- Dino Raja was one of my favorite players growing up. I have no idea why. The guy couldn't jump at all. Maybe that's why. Six ten guy came over from Yugoslavia. Uh, I believe he was the third guy to come over. I think it was Sarunas Marcelonis, then Vladi, and then Dino Raja. Somewhere in there. And having Dino Raja on the Celtics was, it it was like if you're going to have a Caucasian guy, he's going to want and can't jump, he's going to wind up on the Celtics. Yeah, I mean, as a pioneer, I mean, he didn't do very much. He did not do very much for the Celtics. Um, I think I mean he was at the tail end of his career, but as a as a pioneer and one of the all time European greats, as far as I know, he was one of you know. I can't argue. I can't argue the call. I don't have a great opinion on it, but I mean he was he was one of FIBA's all time greatest, one all time fifty greatest, wasn't he? Something like that. Yes. So, yes. I mean, if he makes any all-time 50 list, I can't really, you know, what, what am I going to say? Well, you're going to express your opinion that he shouldn't be on the 50 list, and then I'll say you're wrong because Steve is more te- more knowledgeable than you. That's what you could say, but I'm not going to go I didn't, Okay. But I didn't, so why would I? 
All right. So now we have Rick Wells, the former yeah, that one I'm State not executive. Kidding. So, okay. So Rick Wells is, uh, is a homosexual and came out. <laughs> Good start. I didn't know how to say it. I, he's gay. And he came out yeah, while he was while he was an executive with the Golden State Warriors. No, this isn't a joke. This is what happened. No, and I know that. I know, promoted, I know He has promoted the LGBT uh, throughout the league. And I think it's important, but I'm not sure it's Hall of Fame worthy what he's done. Yeah. Well, that, okay. that's kind of my point. I, I, no, I, I'm familiar with the story. I just don't think he did enough to, to, to make the Hall of Fame. I mean, I'm going to go find a biography because I'm just trying to figure this out. So he's now the Warriors president. Yep. Okay. He, he was, I think he was the Phoenix Suns president for a while. And that's where he decided to come. He was, oh, here we go. So he's been in some NBA capacity since 1969, served as the league's executive vice president and chief marketing officer from 1996 to 19. 19- uh, 1996 to 1999, he has created the early building and marketing of the Dream Team and the WNBA. So, so he was the president of the Phoenix Suns and then went and became the Warriors president. So basically what I'm learning right now is that if you want to be in the NBA Hall of Fame, you should work for the league for 10 years in some capacity. Because Rob <laughs> Thorne got in that way. And now it looks like Rick Welch got in that way, too. And not to begrudge them a good career, because they had good careers and they still are working. But this seems to be a little bit of, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not nepotism, but it's kind of close to it, right? It worked for me. I'll take care of you. I don't know. I I just don't get that one. And then we got one more guy. We got one more guy that went in. Uh, dual sport Ora, Ora May Washington, and to be fair, I know absolutely nothing about this person. But I'm going to go find out. She was first African American female uh, basketball players, I believe. And tennis players, it looks like. She uh, won the national singles title eight times in nine years between 1927 and 1930, 1929, 1937. And then played with the Germantown Hornets, where her 22-1 and record won National Female Title of the Year. Okay, so it sounds like a modern, well, the equivalent of Babe Dickerson Zaharis. Uh, so Ora Washington passed away in 1971. So th- there's our Hall of Famers for, for the NBA this year. I, I, I get your, uh, your Maurice Cheeks non-committal status. I'm still uh, – uh, somebody's going to have to convince me that Ray Allen was a better player than he was because I'm still not getting it. Uh, he was a shooter. That's what he was. That's all he did. And I, I, I just – now, did Ray Allen win a title with Connecticut – no, uh, he did not. But he was the first. He was the first big name there. He was the one that started their prominence. 
Was he in the Hall? Was he in the All American teams? I believe so. I mean, um, could, I mean, could some could some of this come from? Look, you and I both disagree on Ray Allen. I get that, but the fact is, could some of this? Here we go. So, he was named USA Male Athlete of the Year in 1995-96. He was a first team All American and won the Big East Player of the Year. Okay, well, there is something. So give him some credit on the college game. Absolutely. But I still, I, I, I'm not convinced that he's in the pantheon of players. Just not going to be there. So anyway, so we have baseball. We have baseball outside in this decrepit weather in New York. And, again, it reminds me why we start baseball so early, which makes no sense to me. When we were kids, baseball would start around Pax Day, April 15th-ish. You'd have the first game probably April 7th, April 8th, and you wouldn't have snow. And yesterday we had the snow out for Yankee opening day. Today we have the first game of the year, and it's like 36 degrees and raining. And this reminds me of going to school when the pipes are frozen because they have to make in 180 days. And yeah. that's what it reminds me of outside because this is horrendous. The, last night the, the, uh, in Toronto, where there's actually a dome, the paid attendance, believe it or not, was like 16,000 people. Yeah. And in Oakland, it was like 3,000. No, 6,000. Excuse me, 6,000 people. When people say that we shouldn't be starting baseball so early, we should pay attention to this stuff. But the one thing I wanted to get to you on, it's we got seven minutes left. So I, I remember us talking a couple of months ago, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago at this point, that some guy ingested some meat in Mexico, which makes with some hormone – and we couldn't have a fight. And now, supposedly, we can't have the fight again. So why is Canelo, can't they just isolate this, this hormone from where it was and, and actually have a fight? Because now it looks like it's going to be fought on Mexican Independence Day. Well, it's not going to be fought on Mexican Independence Day, I don't believe. I thought that was, wasn't that, that, that's usually the Cinco de Mayo. That's when it's supposed to be fought. No, um, no, no. Mexican Mexico Independence Day is actually in October, I believe. So if he gets suspended six day, it, it's six months from the sample A, and six months will end in August. So he would be eligible to be uh, fighting in September. Oh, here we go. See, I know something. With Golovkin to be rescheduled on the Mexican Independence Day weekend in mid-September, which is when they had the fight go. last year. Um, he ate tainted beef. <laughs> what do you want me to say? Okay, so he ate tainted beef, and we have a fifty-year-old Manny Pacquiao fighting again. Is the sport yep. really that bad that we have to recycle? This is like what's the, not the Expendables? No, it is. It's the Expendables. This is like the Expendables, the boxing, right? Let's bring back Sylvester Stallone. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Paul Colgan, and Jason Stratham put him in a movie and call it a real movie in 2018 when they were really stars in 1996. Now, 
I mean, the reality is, the thought is that Pacquiao may need the money, ironically. Um, he has given it out to about half of Thailand. And, or half no, no, the Philippines. Philippines. I meant the Philippines. And the thought is, he may not have much saved. And he's fighting because he, he needs the money. I mean, the dude, the senator, for God's sakes. You know, he lost his last fight, which admittedly was a terrible, terrible decision. But, you know, he chooses to do this. And, you know, he's fighting, he's fighting competent fighters. It's not like he's fighting tomato cans. But it's, it's a little bit sad. You know, you never want to see athletes go too far beyond their prime. And, look, he was past his prime by the time he fought Mayweather. You know, he's been past his prime for five or six years. And he's fighting a pretty tough guy, so in Lucas Matisse. So you just gotta hope I just gotta hope he doesn't get hurt. You know, he's done a lot for the sport and hopefully this you know, hopefully there'll be no long lasting damage. So I'm gonna be very brief as we're within the three minute mark and then I'll let Seth go. The one thing we did not speak about tonight was the women's final four. And what a tremendous final as as bad as I found the men's Final Four. I love the women's Final Four. Congratulations to Notre Dame on a three-pointer that, wow, you could have just chucked that behind your head and had as much luck as the one that she did falling away. Congratulations to Notre Dame. Well-deserved, an amazing shot, and an amazing tournament. That's it? Yeah, you got two minutes, buddy. I'm giving you the full 215. All right, well, yeah, number one, congrats. The women's Final Four, you have Connecticut once again losing on a buzzer beater in the semis. You know, Mississippi State making the championship for the second straight year. You know, two games go overtime, and one game is decided with one-tenth of a second to go. You can't ask for much more. You know, with athletes, we ask them to dare to be great. You know, this has been a theme that is especially that, that people have always said is, you know, when do you go above and beyond, you know, to try and be great, even if you fail. This has been the argument with Mayweather. It's been the argument with, you know, LeBron going to Miami. So there was supposed to be a UFC light, lightweight title fight on, two, uh, on Saturday night. And one of the player, one of the guys, six days before the fight, this is, fight's been postponed three times, tears his ACL walking out of the UFC studio. So they were going to have a card with no, with no fighter. With no, with no championship fight. Max Holloway, who is, actually was interviewed by Max Back Sports page in 2000, probably 12. He's won 15 fights in a row, 14 fights, something like that, some obscene number. On five days' notice, is stepping up to fight for the championship at the weight class above him. Um, and just, you know, anyone who has the chutzpah to do that, coming off of an injury even, to come out on five days' notice, to stand up and try and fight someone who's weighing 15 pounds more than he does. You know, that is the epitome of daring to be great. And I, w- you know, and I really hope he pulls it off, because I think that would just be a really cool story. And we will talk about that next week, because that's this week, correct? That fight? Yeah, sorry. Yep. Sounds great. Okay, for Seth Kamins, this has been Sean Palmer, BackSportsPage.com, Blog Talk Radio. Thanks so much for joining. We know it was a tough show. But we got through it, and we'll be back next week. Have a great one, everybody. Peace out.